0: thinking of opening a new cocktail bar, or planning a fabulous cocktail party? Thanks to our guest today, we don't have to start from scratch. He's given us the tools to hone every facet of the guest experience. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. How lucky are we that Jason Williams, Creative Director of Proof & Company, and head of Proof Creative, their bar and beverage consultancy program, has shared his 20-pillar plan with the rest of the world. He could have kept it a secret. But in the spirit of community and collaboration, the 20-pillar plan, designed as a holistic guide to opening and launching a bar, can be found right on their website. These include drinks, of course, concept, food, uniform, and 16 others. Proof & Company is one of the world's most awarded drinks agencies. They've launched more than 100 bar projects since opening their doors in 2014, including some of the world's best bars, 28 Hong Kong Street, Atlas Bar Manhattan, and so many more. Today, Jason walks me through each and every one of the 20 Pillar Plan. Well, I am thrilled to have you here. It's really exciting to have someone who literally is sitting across the world from me. And through the miracles of modern science, we can actually chat and I can hear what you're doing. So now we're not going to go through your whole life story, but why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you?
1: Yeah, great. Well, thanks for having me, Susan. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. I'm dialing in from tropical Singapore. I understand it might be a little bit chilly understatement where you are, but it's, it's a consistent 32 degrees Celsius and 90% humidity here. By way of introduction, Jason Williams, I'm the creative director and head of advocacy for Proof and & Company, and specifically our bar consultancy, our little agency called Proof Creative, which we just debuted to the world. We've been going for 10 years which hopefully we get to talk about a little bit but we just debuted our new brand and also published this 20 pillar plan to building bar programs i'm a bartender by trade i've been in the bar industry since i was 16 17 working in hotels and resorts and grew up in a kind of tourist beach town and have hospitality in my blood and uh, yeah worked in nightclubs and restaurants and banquets and cafes and did everything from scrubbing dishes to waiting tables to bar backing and then you know bartending full time for 15 plus years worked in a bar manager capacity brand ambassador capacity for you know some of the world's biggest brands in australia this is all in australia by the way Obviously, love what I do, and just went up the ladder, so to speak. Never really had a career plan or anything like a lot of people in our industry do. But just just threw myself into the the career and the lifestyle, and went from you know managing bars and working as a brand ambassador to more beverage director roles for larger companies in Australia across dozens of different sites. And then in 2015, I moved to Singapore. A good friend of mine, Zdenek Kastanek and Paul Gaby, uh, recruited me to head up this consultancy model that was part of, that is part of our distribution model so proofing right. company is a spirits distribution business asia pacific wide business and i was brought in to kind of firm up and give more structure and then grow the the bar consultancy part of the business and i've been doing that for almost seven years among many other things
0: right of course well what's funny is that you said proof creative, you've just launched it. Whereas you have been pretty much doing this for a while. You are, you know, the premier, Well, I'm allowed to say that premier bar consultancy in the other side of the world for APAC, which is for everyone, Asia Pacific, by the way. And pretty much anyone who is in this industry knows your name, knows Proof & Company, but you've launched this new branch of it called Proof Creative. What did that come out of and why the launch? So
1: Proof & Company, first of all, we started off with our own bar, which is important to know. Uh, Before I started with the company, our co-founders, um, started 28 Hong Kong Street, which just celebrated its 10th year in operations here in Singapore. And, um, you know, it's won numerous awards and accolades, and it's kind of like an unofficial clubhouse for the, the bar industry in Singapore, Asia. And, you know, if people come in from London or New York or Sydney, all roads lead to 28.
0: It's definitely the place to go. You got to start there. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think so. <laughs> I'm biased, but then we started a distribution business, um, selling spirits, liqueurs, bitters, glassware, OSNE items, and then off the back of that, we, or well, particularly our co-founders, identified this model that included expert services and expertise, and supporting and advocating for the industry through being an advisory capacity or as a consultant to bars and restaurants and cafes very much in an ad hoc organic way for many, many years. And then in 2015, when I started, um, we really kind of doubled down on that model of adding expertise and support to bars and restaurants as a supplier, just to build a relationship, build trust and add value to um, the supply dynamic.
0: Well, wait, let me interrupt you sure. for a sec. Um, what was it like when you first started? Was there nothing there? You couldn't find a glass or a spirit? You know, people were drinking stuff. so. What kind of things were you did, were you bringing in then?
1: Sure, yeah. So if you think um, you know 2010, 2011, 2012, there just wasn't the range of you know fine spirits available in the market here in Singapore and broadly Southeast Asia specifically. You know, it was a lot of Tiger, a lot of Smirnoff, Bacardi. There just wasn't these craft brands or the more artisan brands. And so, you know, our co-founders kind of recognized that and decided to, to start a business to bring these beautiful spirits and liqueurs from around the world.
0: Now, were there local ones that people were drinking instead or there just wasn't anything?
1: No, now, definitely not.
0: Uh, do you think that you kind of drove the market for people wanting it because you brought them in or did you feel that there was more of a demand for those things people were getting more knowledgeable about cocktails since of course you, you know you built the the shrine in singapore to cocktails
1: well honestly the co-founders of proof recognized that singapore and these other um, metropolitan hubs around southeast asia were going through this drinking renaissance or cocktail renaissance, which is now cocktail boom, that places like New York did in the mid-2000s, that London did in the late 90s, early 2000s, that Melbourne did in the, the mid-late 2000s. That hadn't happened yet in places like Singapore, Bangkok, Manila, et cetera, um, Shanghai, North Asian countries. And so they recognized that, that you know, at 2011 when 28 opened, that there was, you know, a high degree of investment, there's a an internationalized city in Singapore there's a huge culinary culture in Asia so everybody wants to try new things um, and there was a big expat community that had we used to drinking at great bars in New York London you know Europe or Australia and so they recognized that, that there was a demand and the market did want to try great bourbons or these new gins that were coming out or you know like mezcals or piscos and stuff that that, that just wasn't in the market at the time they wanted to open up a bar that celebrated these great spirits and cocktails and the, the craft of the bartender but then they couldn't get the spirits that they needed to do that so they identified a commercial opportunity and then our our model as a supplier was always you know high degree of customer service build relationships and then add value through what we knew how to do which is make great drinks build great bars design great drinks lists or cocktail programs do heaps of training and education get behind the bar and help them put on events and so our model as a supplier and as a business kind of developed into that. And that's was the origin story of Proof Creative, which was the consultancy.
0: And was it that the first person knocked on your door and said, you know, I really need some help. Did it kind of grow from there? And then you're like, Whoa, wait a sec. Yeah. People need help.
1: Um, I think it just happened. It happened organically. Um, it, it really was to start off with people like Zanetik Castanek, Michael Callahan, uh, Joe Elizandroni, my predecessors, literally going into bars with a, a bottle of St. George Spirits or Four Roses Bourbon or Mancina Vermouth or, you know, another different product like that, and walking into a bar and say, you haven't heard of this product. It's a little bit more expensive. It's actually kick-ass. Can I get behind the bar and make drinks with it? And I can, I can help you do your cocktail list or whatever it might be required.
0: So you were ad hoc brand ambassadors as well as bar consultants. Totally
1: ambassadorial as well. Yeah. yeah um, you Yeah. Know, our first big project was Manhattan, which would be about about seven years old now and so uh, proof is probably about nine years old and so that organic support for the industry um, just happened all the time we did a you know a bunch of ad hoc complementary consulting although we never used that term and then our first paid project in which we started to develop the 20 pillar plan and really went all in as in Consultancy was Manhattan, and then that's when I think Paul Spencer and Sneha, our co-founders, they really identified that there was value in this model of having bar consultants attached to a distribution business. And then I started in 2015, and it just kind of blew up from there.
0: So let's talk about the 20 Pillar Plan. Sure. Which, which I've just heard about. I'm sure it's been around for a while, but let's let's just briefly say the 20 pillars, which are concept. Um, drinks, food, team, service, interior design, layout, brand, collateral, a product, ambiance, music, programming, outreach, tech, technology, OS&E, uniform, ecology, community, and financial. So tell us how you put together this plan and um, how you, I guess, picked each thing and why you decided to even have a plan in the first place.
1: Sure, um, yeah, it's worth to that point. It's worth noting that um, a lot of people who might be listening to this or who work in the bar industry, run, own, and run their own bars, are passionate about bars, restaurants, hotels, what have you. They really would think about this instinctively. A lot of people uh, that are drinks enthusiasts or work in the industry will go into a bar and already to start pulling it apart you know the, the daiquiri is not balanced the the lighting's too bright or the stool's not comfortable you know the pricing's way out or you know what why are they serving this food with this concept et cetera, et cetera? but when we really started to firm up this consultancy model we needed a framework to approach our work and particularly when we were dealing with clients or new business owners that weren't too familiar with the bar world and they had never done it before and You know, they might be really successful in hotels or in restaurants or in nightclubs, but we needed to kind of create a framework to get everybody on the same page. And by, you know, working towards this 20 pillar structure, it means we take a holistic view of of approaching a bar opening and we get a cohesive result and it acts as some kind of contract that we all buy into, we all approve it. And then we work off that kind of 20 pillar plan to bring the venue to life. So it came out of a necessity while working with people that may not have been as familiar with great bars. But then we just realized that it was a really good tool to allocate resources, to identify which areas of the concept or the bar or the business we wanted to dedicate the most amount of time, energy, resources, financial or otherwise, and it just gets everyone on the same page. You know, figuratively speaking, and a lot of it's common sense, but a lot of the stuff in the 20 pillar plan often gets forgotten or the resources are dedicated in the wrong place or it's not cohesive. So if you focus on the drinks pillar, you might put a lot of time and effort and creativity and passion into that, but then you don't get your financial model right. Or, you know, you might forget about uniforms. Uniforms is a particularly important thing visually and practically, but because people might de-emphasize it or forget about it, then they get an outcome for uniforms, which might not do the whole program justice. So we found it a, um, a good way to keep everybody on the same page, like I said. And we also identified very early that there's no algorithm or scientific formula or mathematical equation to building a great bar or any hospitality or food and beverage business. There's a little bit of science, well, there's a, a lot of science, there's a lot of art, there's a culinary approach, and there's a lot of creativity that goes into it. There's number crunching, and, but there's a lot of magic. There's a bit of mystery about how, how and why something works sometimes. Sometimes it's the personalities. A lot of the time it's the personalities, um, but sometimes things just work. And so we thought, well, there's no scientific formula. The closest anyone's gotten to it may be McDonald's or Starbucks, but we don't work in that part of the food and beverage industry. So we thought we'd come up with this framework, which would create a cohesive result. It makes sure that we don't miss anything and it gets the vision all on the same page in this framework. So then we can bring the bar to life. So I guess that's, wh- that's why we created it.
0: Before we go into the detailed list, um, this is kind of your secret sauce. Mm. I'm surprised you shared this with other people, other competitive bar consultancies or you know could just be like oh yeah now we don't have to do the work uh yeah. proof creative has done it for us why did you wish to share this with the world
1: well um, a couple of reasons the first reason is that well, the first note is that this is not uh this is not a recipe per se to open up a bar this is the framework in which you then layer in the creative thinking so we talk about the importance of, say, coming up with a defined brief and a design, uh, defined direction around uniform, to use that as an example. But this doesn't prescribe what uniform you should have for your particular venue. So it's a, an approach and it's a way of thinking. You still, need ex- you still need expertise, you might need us, but you need to do your own creative and critical thinking within the 20 pillar framework to get a great result. So it's not a cut and paste kind of thing. But why we did want to share it is that we found it really useful and we've just had a lot of success with it. So, you know, some of the projects that we've worked on over the last six, seven, eight years, you know, World's 50 Best Bars, Spirited Award winners, but also more importantly, just successful businesses and well-loved bars by their owners and by their guests. So we've had a lot of success with it and then we've seen it being adopted anyway. (laughs) So we've seen some of our former clients and some of our peers within the industry have started to co-opt it and adopt it and use it in different ways and we thought it's worthwhile just sharing it with the industry and people still have to do their own creative thinking they still have to put together their own pre-opening budget and their own PL. they still have to put together their own osne list we're not giving this a pla it's not a cut and paste kind of bar concept but it does help it is really helpful and it's really useful and it's been successful for us and we thought we'd just share it for the world
0: I love it. It's like th- now by, by, I guess, doing some press, you've said, okay, this is our patent. It's, it's ours, guys. Hey, we created it. Now yeah. let's go through them because I'm really interested on, on why you picked these 20 because it could have been 24, 25, you know, 10. So if, if it's not too much for you to start at the top, I guess, concept.
1: Yeah.
0: and Give a little chat about what it is and why you came up with it.
1: Concept for us is the most important. It's really important to define what your business is, for starters. And then it's important to define what we call the narrative or the golden thread. What is it? And what is the reason for people to come in there? And what is the guest experience? And we go a little bit deeper, for sure, and we come up with a, a story or a narrative. And so it could be quite deep and conceptual or thematic. It could be like a time and place concept, like a 1920s inspired bar. Mm-hmm. But also it can be really low concept. And by that I mean it doesn't need to have some convoluted or esoteric concept which is hard to explain, which which is overly thematic. It can be something as simple as a neighbourhood American cocktail bar, which is what 28 Hong Kong Street is. It's really not too um, over the top or ostentatious. It's really simple, but the importance is that we do have a defined concept which you can easily describe to someone. There's going to be nuance within the, the bar program, there's going to be the human element is going to be heart and soul. And that's what makes a bar great. But we think it's really important to actually have definition around what the bar is and what the brand is. So concept is number one for us. And then once we define that concept, we call it a golden thread. That golden thread then permeates all of the other 19 pillars and we make creative and critical decisions and we allocate resources based upon that concept and what we think um, is important.
0: That's why it's number one
1: that's why it's number one
0: and obviously once we have the concept the drinks food follow that concept
1: yeah yeah exactly they all follow the concept and there's some really obvious pillars there as about as to you know how it does follow the concept for example if you've got a tropical colorful tropical island bar you're probably going to have a good rum selection you're probably going to serve you know vibrant Visually appealing cocktails with fresh juices and homemade syrups, and maybe light something on fire, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But you won't have 15 central European vodkas, you won't have right. 15 vodkas at all. So, in right. a really basic level, it starts to f- create some parameters, and then you can get creative which, within each of those pillars. Now, yeah.
0: interesting team and service are next. If you have a concept for you know, as you said, say, a local American bar. How does that go to team and service? Uh,
1: So team, humans are, I think, the most important part of the business full stop. You know, the most amount of money goes into the interior design. We do lots of thinking around the concept and, you know, it's a business, so you should put a lot of time into the financial model. But, you know, human beings, people, that's what people remember and that's what is going to make or break your bar or your business. So team addresses that. So we talk about what are the key placements, you know, what would be the ideal candidate for the bar. So for example, if it's a, an American style dive bar, you probably don't need a mixologist as per se. If it's, um, you know, if it's, a, if it's a cocktail bar, you do need a mixologist. And then we think about what are the key placements, head bartender, GM, head chef, floor manager. And then we go a little bit deeper. What kind of floor manager do we want? Do we want a really utilitarian floor manager and that's what they do or do we want someone who plays a hosting role a guest experience Uh role you know how does that interact with some of the other pillars so do we want to add a music director because music's going to be important for the concept so if it's a club or if it's a a concept that really relies on a defined soundtrack then we probably need someone part-time full-time whatever to look after the music right same with the 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 food if the food pillar is going to be elevated we need to invest more into a, a chef etc, etc. So yeah, team, super important. uh, And yeah, creative thinking needs to be put into that to help bring the concept to life.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. We've got interior design, which you already talked about a little layout. Um, Brand, I guess that's part of the concept. Is that that story? Or do you mean it as, you know, the glasses having your logo on it or that kind of thing? So
1: yeah, we split up brand and collateral. So brand is, um, for us, is not just the Not just the name or the logo or the typography etc it's actually goes a little bit deeper we we do the brand go through a brand values exercise we define uh, or help define what the the values are of the brand what the brand stands for we do like a customer experience process we talk about how a customer interacts with the brand so they might hear about it word of mouth or they might google it or they might come across the social media and then all the way through to when they actually arrive at the venue then they become a guest that guest experience and how the brand is being interacted with the whole time and from that process and these brand values of the brand and also the values of the the team behind the brand we use all that plus you know mapping the industry and delving into the concept to then come up with the name the the visual identity, the brand guidelines, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we do a lot of the naming ourselves, but we love we prefer to work with like experts. So that's the brand. <laughs> and then collateral is how it's applied to right. to OSNE or napkins. Okay, what is
0: O S and E? We'll jump right there because I have no idea what that is.
1: OSNE is a bit of a hotels term, I suppose. It's operating supplies and equipment. So it re- refers to hardware in the venue really. So glassware mm you know, plates, bar utensils, and then also, you know, equipment such as blenders or dehydrators and stuff like that.
0: The actual stuff you need to make the things that you are, you know, giving to the guest.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so there's, yeah. creative, there's creative decisions throughout all of these steps. And a lot of them might seem uh, a bit utilitarian decisions or a bit redundant to do creative thinking with some of these pillars. But, you know, OSN e for example, the, the kind of glass that you might use can really have a big impact on the guest experience and can help define what the concept is. So if you're in a, a dive bar, it doesn't really matter, but you still want like a classic dive bar, beer glass, and you might have a red cup or something like that. Whereas when you're in a cocktail bar, like a beautiful London hotel bar, you probably kind of have a nice and tall London style coupe that's custom mm. designed and you know, the psychology behind that and the feel of the glass and the weight of the glass really affects the guest experience. So there's creative decisions there. Plus, if you want to do, you know, modernist culinary cocktails, you're probably going to need some laboratory equipment like a rotovap or something like that. So particularly when there's budgets to be done and you're trying to get the concept across the line with someone and the bartender needs this equipment, putting that creative thinking into the os is super important.
0: Also, I know this sounds completely utilitarian, I guess, that someone is actually going to have to wash that glass. So, you know, if you have the really, really fancy schmancy glass that's only hand can only be hand washed, can't put it into the dishwasher. You got to have the money to have someone there to wash that special glass. And you can't just throw it, you know, knock it around or you'll be paying for a lot of them now. All right. So we got collateral. Now, community is interesting. Uh, what yep. do you define community as?
1: So, how does the concept of how does the bar interact with the local bar community, F and B restaurants, hotels? Because I think that's really important, and it's really good for outreach and connectivity and support for our industry. If they, if a bar is community minded, by that I mean, you know, how do we, how do we look after the community? Do we have a, a special family meal offer for for hospitality workers? Do we? Do we have a hospital night? Do we offer education to the bars around mm-hmm. us? You know, just are we community minded in that way? But then it extends to the global bar community. I think that's really important. You know, we live in this global bar village. It's it's good for PR and outreach, but then also the actual community. So the local residents, the local businesses, other community organizations, whether it's, you know, charity or sporting or civil or what, what have you. Bars and pubs, restaurants, cafes forever have been hubs of the community. They've been a place where people have done business, they've gone for counsel, you know, they've gone in time to- when times are tough, they've gone there to celebrate. So the bar, any kind of bar, whether it's a pub or restaurant cafe, plays an important part in the community whether it likes it or not, and so we think it's important, particularly in a time where there's people going through tough times, whether it's because of COVID or through social issues. So we think it's it's good practice, and it can come through in the concept that a bar plays its role within the community and interacts with in, into the community and contributes.
0: How receptive have your clients been to that?
1: Good, um, I think because a lot of the time they see the value in connecting with the, the local industry, and then regional industry, global industry, it's just part of the bar world these days, particularly in some of the high echelon bars, you, you just have to have that connection. Depending on the, the bar and the brand values, a lot of our projects are in hotels, so it's probably less important because they're not as accessible to the local community. Uh, but particularly independent bars, people have been really receptive. It's good for other reasons as well. So to give back to the community is a great way for teams to come together and, and work together on something. It promotes goodwill within the community. It's just good for business, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I always said that. I used to work in charity, and I used to say, it's always good for your business, even if it, it comes from a maybe a, a Machiavellian <laughs> approach. Like, even if you're not doing it because you love the world, it's still good for business. So give back, yeah. even if you're not doing it because you're being nice. You're doing it for tax reasons or whatever it is. Just, it's good just, yeah. you know, it's good for the world to give back. Yeah. Um, let's see, we've got ambiance, music, outreach, I guess, is, you know, part of community, technology. Well, no,
1: maybe I'll touch oh. on a couple of those. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: I don't mean to be rushing through. Yeah, them. no, I'm that's
1: th- okay. Oh, yeah. we'll just keep talking about whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ambiance, right. so some of these we've actually added in the last year. Ambiance um, is an important one because there's some little things there that people might – not think of some people do it instinctively but uh, we define ambiance as uh, a mix of different pillars so ambient sound so what is the ambient sound so yeah there'll be there'll be music playing most of the time but then how do the acoustics play in the room and how does that affect the comfort of the guest like one thing for me is when bartenders smash their cocktail shaker on the side of a stainless steel bench it's just a bugbear for me i don't, don't like seeing a bartender do that but that can totally mess with um, someone's conversation, or if they're having a, an intimate moment at the bar talking to each other, or if someone's making a speech to their friend, or, you know, they're deep in conversation and it sounds like bang, 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 you know, that affects the guest experience and that messes with the ambiance. Also the temperature is really important. And so how do we get the right temperature for the right concept, whether that's a sports bar or an outdoor bar, airflow is really important too. Like everybody's been in a bar where, they can smell the the old oil coming from the, the kitchen that hasn't been replaced for a while, <laughs> or they can smell the bin room because the airflow hasn't been thought of. So these little things can really affect the ambiance, which ask, affects the guest experience. And so it should be thought about when developing your whole 20 pillar plan. And then outreach is marketing, which is a huge one. So bars these uh-huh. days as you would know, as everybody would know, it's just not good enough to have great food and great drinks and great people and great hospitality and beautiful interior design. And even if you're a super busy bar, you got to tell everybody about it. And you don't just, you know, you don't just tell your local area, you tell the world about it. And that's digitally through social media, that's through connecting with other like-minded operators. So outreach, uh, we put a lot of time in that, and people kind of overinvest in outreach these days. So it's, it's really important. And you have to do it in a way that's on concept. You can't just have a blanket approach to how you market your bar. It's got to be
0: sensical. You
1: know, it has to be about the cocktails, or it has to be about the celebrity chef, or it has to be about the music program, et cetera, et cetera.
0: So technology then?
1: Yeah, technology is the one that we've recently put in there as well as we've gone through this like publishing process. Everybody uses technology and they have for a very long time, whether it's table management systems, POS, reservation systems, inventory systems. So that we're not so much referring to the back end kind of stuff. Technology, we're, we're talking about how does uh, the concept come through the use of technology and how can it enhance the guest experience without detracting from the guest experience. I listened to another podcast with Will Gadera from Make It Nice, I think he has a different company now, but like Eleven Madison, Nomad Fame. And he talked about using some technology in the venues and he made the point, or well, I've kind of co-opted this point that we want to use technology and it's kind of unavoidable now in the time of COVID when a lot of stuff has been expedited, but we want to hide it. So we're going to use technology, but then we want to hide the technology because we don't want to make the guest experience in this beautiful bar transactional. We don't want to make it transactional. I personally don't like using too much hardware. So using tablets for ordering and stuff like that, I'm not a big fan of that kind of stuff, but maybe guests do want to use their own device to place an order and pay. And if we can allow that and then focus on other areas of the 20 pillar plan to really enhance their experience and make sure they have a really fantastic time with their friends, with the great drinks and the great food, then that's okay. So we need to think about clever ways to incorporate technology to make the guest experience more seamless so they can focus on the good stuff and then some, some, some other elements of technology to even be really creative. And we've seen that through menu design through COVID. We've got some great bars here in Asia that are doing some really, really cool fun stuff with animated menus, not, not just QR codes with a PDF bars are now investing the money that they might have previously invested into their, hard copy into the soft copy which people are looking at on their smartphone and that's animated or custom illustrations, um, storytelling, audio books, a lot of content being embedded into their menus which people are looking at on their phone, but then also sharing with their friends across the world or looking at it when they get home. And then there's a bit of AR and AI that could be coming in, AI even with things like music curating the music experience or the soundtrack using AI, and then stuff like AR on cocktails and cocktail lists and stuff like that. So yeah, the technology, I feel like a bit of a Luddite sometimes when it comes to technology, when people close to me would say that, but we know that particularly being in Asia, technology is just being adopted before FMB World, and so I think it's good for bars to get ahead of what technology can be used in their venue to build in efficiencies, of course, but also enhance the guest experience and then layer on some creativity.
0: Absolutely, and I would love to see an animated menu. That would be so Mm. much fun because, yeah, I'm a little bit of a Luddite. I miss my paper menu, but look, so many people who never used a phone before, really, Mm -hmm. to do anything except call are now using it for menus, knowing what QR codes, I know my mom didn't know what a QR code was before COVID and she's pretty hip, just doing that automatically and knowing what that is. And being in Asia where technology is king, it must be really fun for those who do it to create.
1: Totally. New things, yeah. We're going to see this, not a correction, but we're just going to see them just being integrated together because the collateral pillar for us includes a menu. And the menu is a beautiful piece of hard copy, tactile material that people can hold and look and feel and share with their friends and read it. We still love that. And it's a communication device and it's a calling card and we still love beautiful menus. How does technology interact with that? It's probably going to go beyond just QR codes. And I'm the same. I think a lot of people, QR codes have been around for ages, but there was just just this ugly looking pattern that you didn't really know what to do with. Now it's very common to use. Yeah.
0: And the power of the menu. Absolutely. I mean, I remember two menus, one, which is, was the cassette at Clue Clay. It was literally a cassette cover and you opened it up and it was, it was fabulous. I think even Rebecca won an award for that. And also the pop-up menu at the Beaufort bar, which was, I think 20 or so cocktails that they created a pop-up book for. And I am lucky to have one. You do remember those great menus, at least I do and keep them
1: Trick dogs, San Francisco, Kalu Yeah,
0: maybe there'll be an NFT menu.
1: Yeah, probably. Right?
0: Yeah, you never know. <laughs> a non-fungible menu. I didn't.
1: I, I mean, I didn't even mention NFTs, and there's just so much yeah. more that's going to be happening in the technology space in relation to bars, and whether the guest sees that or, or whether they interact with it on online, it's a really important part of it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So you talked about uniform a little, ecology. So is that, yeah. do, you mean, do you mean that by sustainability and things like that?
1: Yeah, we went with the term ecology because we feel it's uh, probably a bit more encompassing mm-hmm. and isn't, isn't just pigeonholed, just just talking about sustainability, which is hard to achieve as everyone knows, but sustainability, you could interchange that word with, and that relates to, so two things, like what can we do just to be more, say sustainable, but more responsible? in terms of environmental practices and our impact on the environment through our operations, but also how do we bring the concept in into that as well? And so you might not have, well, most bars don't have a concept which is just revolves around being a sustainable bar or, or no waste or low waste bar, but that doesn't mean a, the bar can't do some creative things or put some initiatives in place that actually promote their concept and make sure everyone everybody's appreciating their their bar and their drinks and their food. But maybe there's a little, ecological component of it. Examples would be, there's a, you know, Sky Bar here, um, when Rusty Chervin was there, printed a, a seeded menu. So there was a special menu where guests then would take it home and then potentially plant it and grow something from that seeded menu that had some, some, something printed on it. Uh, Bartragona, which it which does talk about hyperlocality, sustainability, but more about using local Malaysian ingredients. They have an adopted beehive program, they have like a foraging experience where they take hotel guests or visiting industry friends out into the jungle to literally forage for ingredients which they then take back and make cocktails so those two little things promote the concept of the bar so yeah we think there's practical things that bars can do to minimize the impact on the environment but then there's little creative things that bars can do to help with the impact on the environment as well
0: absolutely and last but not least financial
1: yeah Financial model uh, is obviously important for the success of the business. I personally don't think it gets talked about enough. It's not sexy, but particularly in the area of world's 50 best bars and all that kind of stuff, it just doesn't get talked about enough. Maybe it doesn't matter in this context, but uh, it does if you own a business and it does if you have to report to a general manager or to shareholders or something like that. So yeah, there's good practical thinking that needs to happen with budgets, pre-opening budgets, CapEx budgets, and then obviously, forecasting and a, and a P&L, there's also creative thinking that, that goes into that as well. And the dive bar example is a good one, again, because you might have cheap drinks, but you're going to sell more of them. So you're a high turnover bar that does bar service, not table service. You cram people in pre-COVID, post-COVID, and you sell cheap beers and shots sell more of them. So that's good. So you have to take that into account with your business model. A lot of the other pillars tie into that financial model. So layout is, layout is one of the pillars. How many seats are you going to have? How are you going to do table service? Yeah, the size of the bar, the size of the drinks list, the kind of collateral you have. Do you have a big menu or short menu? How many staff you're going to have? So all the other pillars kind of tie into financial model, which kind of is the end result before you embark on this bar opening project
0: I know I love that the first is concept the last is financial and those are the two most important kind of bookending all of them depending on how much money you have to start with is how much money you can put into all of these different things
1: and one last thing on the financial model is there's some creativity that goes into price positioning so you know the dive bar is a good example but then menu engineering is a bit of an art And experienced bar managers or bar operators are really good at menu engineering to get good outcomes. So they're still able to have beautiful, over-the-top cocktails, or maybe they're using really sophisticated cocktails with baller spirits or vintage and aged spirits. They can still have those, but a good bar manager or operator will also know what are the big-selling drinks and get the most amount of profit out of those particular drinks. And then the menu has to be engineered. And costed, and then presented in a certain way to get a good commercial outcome for the business. And there's there is definitely an art form into into having a really creative and on concept menu that you know is thought provoking, creative, and compelling, and people are interested in it, but also makes money. There's a real art form there,
0: right? Where it doesn't alienate someone. I, and you know, even though we're talking about building a bar and there are a lot of home bartenders out there, including me. So many of these pillars, I thought, oh, the next time I have a party, why don't I start with a concept and then everything lead on from there. And as much as I can do, party, ambiance, etc., do mm-hmm. for my own guests and use that as, as a framework to create some fun parties as well. For sure.
1: We do it for events as well. So when we have
0: mm-hmm.
1: a private event or a corporate event or product launch and we've been asked to, to come in and do it, we'd love to work to a concept. With product launches, there's usually a concept, but if it's a private party, we say, we're going to come up with a concept for the menu. And it might only be five drinks, but there's going to be some you know, cool little story that happens with that menu. And yeah, I think it's fun. I think it's great too. Another thing with this 20 pillars is that we also recognize pretty early that bars can't be the best at everything. And we actually do identify four to six leadership pillars in which we should strive to be the best. Be the best in the city, be the best on the street maybe if there's a lot of bars, be best in the city, best in the region or best in the world. And if you dedicate and allocate resources to four, five or six different pillars, you'll get a really good outcome in our opinion. That's not not to say that you shouldn't put really good creative and critical thinking into all of the other pillars, but we definitely prioritise some of them. And If you think um, of some examples, if you think Kalu Kalei, for example, they really invested creativity, time, energy and money into their menu. So collateral for Kalu and out using our framework would be a number one pillar. Mm-hmm. Team, they always, they've always always had great bartenders and really great team members. So team would be another one. The drinks themselves. So then it starts to go, okay, well, we're going to invest in collateral. We're going to invest in great bartenders. The drinks are going to be really creative and super delicious. Music, that might be a, a big pillar. And then probably service, because service is, is historically good there. So Yeah, we always identify which pillars to really double down on, not to say the other ones aren't important as well.
0: Now, I couldn't have you, Jason, discussing all of this on my show without talking a little bit about you. I know we've talked about proof creative and I know that people can listen to many podcasts with your history, so we're not going to go through your whole history. But one thing that really intrigued me, especially because it's my how to drink series, is your gin. Mm. Widge's gin. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And maybe if you have your own mini pillar strategy for starting your own spirit?
1: Sure. Yeah, I'd love to quickly tell you the story about that. So uh, yeah, Widge's gin. So first of all, my my nickname is Widge. W i d g e, and uh, I've had that nickname since I was 14 years old, working in pizza shops and hospitality, and it followed me my whole career throughout Australia and then around the world. So my nickname's Wedge, and at Proof and Company we decided to to launch our own range of spirits. So we've got a vodka called Tried and True, a blended malt Macintosh, and tequila called Architecto. And when we were working on the gin, I'm the gin guy within the organisation because we we consulted on Atlas, and I had a title of Master of Gin at Atlas for many years. I still do. We curated the Atlas Gin Collection, which won some awards. It's a huge gin collection, and we have a Juniper Society. I've collaborated on other gins: Terai Indian Gin, Four Pillars Spiced Negroni Gin. I I worked on that, um, plus a gin with St George. So I was the gin guy and you know, I have dedicated a lot of my life to the gin category. And so I developed the, the, the flavor profile and the product with Spencer Forhart and a few other people. And so we had a, a concept for the gin, the liquid, he was working on the brand in isolation. And then one day he pulls me into his studio with our, our art director and a couple of other people and said, I want to now surprise you with the direction that we're going with the brand. And he, you know, unveiled this full brand guidelines presentation that was all about Widge and me
0: <laughs> oh how sweet yeah
1: so it took me oh. by surprise and so uh yeah it's literally got my face on it it's got my name on it it's a, a gin that's come from me and all of my learnings around bartending at the bar industry and what we thought was a good idea for a gin and we built a spirits distribution network across you know, several countries. And so we had an opportunity to launch a product into that distribution network. And, you know, Widge's Gin, it's a London Dry Gin, was born. Maybe I can tell you a little bit about it. It's uh, 41- Yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah. I was about to ask, what is the flavor? You've got to tell us. I mean, having been around gin, sold gin, brand about whatever, everything mm. gin, gin, gin. Did you ever feel like I wish I could make the perfect gin, the one that I want?
1: Yeah, I did. I was also surrounded by so much gin. And, so, and I also knew how challenging it was to start a distillery and build a brand from scratch because I've got many friends that have done it, are doing it. And during the process of Atlas, we literally were exposed to thousands of gins, thousands of gins. And so I've always had that in the back of my mind, but at the same time, I thought, you know, that's something that I'll do in my later years. That's something that I'll come to.
0: It's amazing, you still liked gin.
1: Oh yeah. You I mean, know,
0: after it's, after that.
1: <laughs> it's the quintessential cocktail spirit, right? It goes, it goes well in so many different drinks. So yeah, I still love gin. Uh-huh. Uh, but so we had this opportunity and we thought, why, why another gin for starters? We had our own commercial reasons, of course. And we knew that it would fit into our portfolio and fill a gap in our portfolio, of course. But for someone outside of our organization, why another gin? That's, <laughs> that's the question. And so we thought, it, for me, it had to be a London dry gin, which meant it had to have, sorry, um, a good amount of juniper. So our particular recipe is about 70% juniper. But then I had to have another point of difference because I love Tanqueray. I love Beefeater. I love all the Sipsmith we worked with for many years. I love these gins. So what are we doing, right? We already have great gins. So then I kind of delved into it. And I've always been a um drawn to the flavor of orange which sounds a bit weird but in cocktail culture and food and actually around us constantly there's a lot of orange i like to refer to it as like the vanilla of the citrus world because it's kind of everywhere it's in cleaning products it's in aromatherapy it's in tea you know Earl grey tea it's in a lot of cocktails and all kinds of cocktails so it's it's in a margarita it's in a white lady It's in a Negroni, it's in a Martinez, you know, through the vermouth. So orange as a flavour, as an ingredient, as an aroma, as a chemical compound even, is in a lot of food and beverage, and particularly in cocktails. And so, and most people like orange. I actually haven't had anyone say, I hate orange. And there's also different kinds of orange. There's like orange sherbet. There's orange peel. There's bitter orange. There's there's marmalade. There's fruit cereal that has it in there. And then there's sweet confectionery orange. And then there's all kinds of different oranges, bergamot, etc. And so we thought we'd play off that. And so Widges Gin has a what we call it a, a big whack of orange, and we matched with that cardamom. And cardamom for me has this beautiful juniper and coriander seed like quality. Has high levels of alpha pinene, which is this chemical compound, this terpene that kind of brings out a lot of citrus and woody characteristics. So juniper, coriander seed, cardamom with a big whack of orange, 41.5%, and it was specifically created to match up with orange flavours that go into some of the world's great cocktails. And more more broadly, it was designed for classic gin cocktails like your gin sours like a Corp Survivor also has orange, White Lady, Last Word, Aviation, 20th Century, it goes really well with those cocktails, but then also a Negroni, Hanky Panky, and Martinez. So, I mean, it's great in signature cocktails. You play well, play around with your own ingredients, but it was specifically created for those kinds of cocktails.
0: Fabulous, I can't wait to try it. I haven't had it yet. Um, Is it over here in in the UK? Yeah,
1: so we are being distributed through Mangrove. and
0: uh and i know them i'm gonna tell them i'm gonna call jude right now and say where is my bottle Get him up where can i get hit it them up. For well, sure. and then i'll feel like i i know i'll know you even more oh. when i have when i've had a little a sip of you I, that sounds weird yeah. but you know what i mean yeah i get it i get
1: it <laughs>
0: <laughs> or where i make a cocktail and i'll think of you i think that sounds a little better I than like a sip it. of you I like right yeah well I so appreciate you um, talking me through that. It was super interesting. And now I'll know when I wanna start a bar, which has always been my dream, the 20 pillars. I'll start with you if I don't already call you and say, help me, help me, help me. Love it,
1: we're ready. You know.
0: Now I always end my podcast by asking my guests two things, uh, which is your top tip for the home bartenders. Okay, I wanna
1: try and think of something that you might not have heard before. Hmm. One thing that I, I always suggest to people is that don't be afraid to just whack anything that you find in your fruit and veggie cabinet into your gin and tonic at home. You know, a lot oh. of people will have some fruit or maybe it's in their fruit bowl. Maybe they've got, you know, some apples, some, some pineapples, some watermelon. I'm not sure about winter in London, but particularly on the equator, like where we are in Singapore, people generally will have um, some fresh fruit, Don't just stick to lemon or lime in your gin and tonic or your gin and soda or your dark and stormy, whatever. Whack in a piece of pineapple, whack in a piece of watermelon. It's going to bring out some of those characters into your drink. So, yeah, it's not really a sophisticated tip for home mixology, but yeah.
0: Oh, I love that one. No, it's a good one. No one's ever said that one before. So that's a great one. Now, last but not least, if you could be anywhere drinking anything right now, where would that be?
1: It's a great question because I've been stuck in Singapore for almost two years now. So, oh, I loved Cuba when I went. So maybe drinking daiquiris or even just rum and some cold beers kicking around old Havana, listening to music, Smoking cigars, I'd jump at the chance to do that right now.
0: I totally understand. Even though a lot of people would say, oh, I wish I could go to Singapore and try one of your bars, right? Yeah. Also,
1: uh, um, back to coming back to the climate, I wouldn't mind some dry, cooler weather. <laughs> so maybe come to London and have a drink at Have a martini at Jukes or something like that.
0: Oh, that's equally as good. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time and being on the show today. Thank
1: you. I appreciate uh, your time and thanks for everything.
0: Sure. Thanks so much to Jason for being on the first episode of 2022. Now you have the tools to either open a bar or create one fabulous cocktail party. I can't wait to be invited. The first cocktail you might serve at that party? Could be our Cocktail of the Week. Our Cocktail of the Week is the Atlas Martini. Jason created this martini for Atlas Bar, currently 16th on the list of the world's 50 best bars. If you're in Singapore, do not miss it. So just add to a mixing glass, filled with ice, 60 mils of London Dry Gin, 15 mils of Bianco or white vermouth, two dashes of orange bitters, and five dashes of champagne bitters. Then stir, stir, stir. Jason recommends long pouring the gorgeous liquid into your frozen martini glass. That means pouring it from very high above the glass. If you've never done this, practice using water beforehand so as not to spill any of your martini. If you don't wanna play around, then just strain it right into your martini glass. Don't forget to garnish it with a lemon twist. You'll find this recipe, more martini recipes and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com where you'll find all the ingredients in our shop. 2022 has begun, and I'm supposed to be in Venice again, but the COVID numbers have spiked up insanely. Ah, will this book ever get written? So, if you live for lush life, make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants you love and tell them how much you love them. The music for lush life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. Next time, we'll be sipping some good old sweet mash made in Blackpool. Until that time, bottoms up.